turn with me to Genesis chapter 39. It will also be on the screen. It's in your bulletin if you need it there. But before we, before we read that together in a moment, let me pray for us and introduce our time together. Father, um, thank you again for, for the beauty of the sacrament of baptism to remind us um, of your faithfulness to us. And um, we pray even now that the preaching of your word, that your word itself and the preaching of it would again Remind us of your faithfulness to us through Jesus. Would you do that? Would you uh, allow us by your spirit to leave here um, trusting him more, loving him more, and, and ready to serve you because we've been with you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When you've been betrayed by someone in your family, or when you've been lied about at work and your boss believes the lies, or when you're getting older and it seems like you've lived as faithfully as you can all your life and, and yet now you end your days suffering disease or disability or even depression, when you see or hear how well everything seems to be going for everybody else at school, for everybody else at work, for your neighbor down the street who just on your way here pulled out of the driveway with the shiny new boat. Everything seems to be going their way. They've got money. They've got talent. They've got the relationships you wish you had. They got accepted to the college that they wanted. But not so much for you. When you found yourself tempted yet again by that same sin that keeps coming back after you again and again and again, and, and you wonder if you'll ever be free from its grip, And when it seems like everything in your life is one step forward, three steps back. It's at those times when we might expect that God is distant from us. It's at those times that it seems like they prove that God is disinterested in us. And we may find ourselves praying to God with words like these from Psalm 88. Oh, Lord, my life is full of troubles. I'm forgotten. I'm cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. I'm in a trap, and there's no way of escape. Oh, Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? Those are all words from Psalm 88. And Joseph, 
could have prayed those very words in Genesis chapter 39. Perhaps he did, and we don't know. But what we do know from Genesis 39 is that there's something going on that Joseph might least expect and might find hard to believe in the situations he's finding himself in. So let's turn and find out what that might be. Would you stand with me and hear the word of the Lord who loves you from Genesis chapter 39. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him the overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. By the way, those are the exact words that were said about Joseph's mother, Rachel. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came into me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, This is the way that your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him 
to put him into the prison, the place where the prisoners were, the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. (coughs) What might Joseph have least expected in these scenarios in Genesis 39? It's surprising. It's surprising. It jumps off the page four times in this chapter. Look at verses 2 and 3. Let's see if you see it. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all he did to succeed in his hands. It's twice there. Now look toward the end of the story at verses 21 and 23. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse 23, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph when Joseph, and certainly I, would have least expected it. The Lord was right there with him, right there in Joseph's suffering. The Lord was with Joseph in the difficult places he was called to serve. And the Lord was even there with him while Joseph was being seduced to sin. The Lord was with Joseph in those three scenarios in his life. And these difficult times in Joseph's life were not a sign of God's absence. They weren't proof that God had abandoned him, and they were not motivated by God's anger. The Lord was with Joseph when Joseph might have least expected it. And what was the Lord with Joseph to do? Well, here... Here's what the Lord was with Joseph to do. In verse 21, it tells us that in the middle of Joseph's darkest days, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. That's that's the word for grace. A lot of times when you see favor in the Old Testament, it's, it's grace. In the middle of his darkest days, the Lord was with Joseph to show him steadfast love, and to give him grace. Joseph's circumstances did not, could not, would not separate him from the love and grace of his God. But there's more. Three times, we're told, 
that because the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord caused him to succeed. Now, we have to talk about what that means because in our culture, we success means something that may have not meant here. But then there are similarities as well. So first, at, at its most basic level, the Joseph succeeding means that whatever jo- Joseph did, he did well. He succeeded. It prospered. It bore fruit. Potiphar's household flourished. The prison flourished. So yes, whatever uh, the Lord was with Joseph so that he would succeed in that sense. But it's more than that. There are clues in this chapter to another level of success, another kind of success. And the original hearers of this story, the people of Israel who were about to go into the promised land, um, having uh, the second generation having left Egypt, been rescued from Egypt, the original hearers of this story and anyone who has read Genesis up to now would recognize these clues. And so let me, here we're going to do a little bit of Bible study, so let me, let me give you these clues. God's covenant name, Yahweh, is used eight times in this chapter. Now remember, when in the Old Testament, when you're reading in your English Bible, whenever you see the word Lord in small caps, the Hebrew word that's behind that is God's name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And that's the name that he gave Moses. So the people, and Moses wrote this book, so the people hearing this from Moses or reading this from Moses would recognize that name. This is the covenant name of our God, Yahweh. It was used eight times in this chapter. It's not used in any other part of Joseph's story except this chapter. There may be one mention toward the end at chapter 49. But four times this name Yahweh is used in connection with the Lord, Yahweh, being with Joseph. And the other four times are about the Lord, Yahweh, blessing Joseph with success. So Moses, the narrator here, wants us to know that this success has to do with God keeping his covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now Joseph. So that's, that's clue number one. Clue number two is that there are echoes of God's original promises to Abraham from Genesis 12 in Joseph's story. Now to help us remember, it's been a while since we were in chapter 12, let me remind you of what God said originally to Abraham when he called him to go to Canaan. In Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God said, <coughs> said, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And here's the promises he made. He said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who curse, uh, bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, 
and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's a summary of those verses. Here's a summary of God's promise to Abraham. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing to others. That's the promise God gave to Abraham. And it's the promise that continued with Isaac and Jacob and all the way now to Joseph. There's echoes of those promises in Joseph's story. For example, God is preserving Joseph over and over again. In the pit, in Potiphar's house, in prison, there's this preservation that God has promised. Um, I will bless you and... I will make you a great nation. That's not going to happen unless God preserves this line that will become Israel. Another echo of those promises, God gives Joseph a great name in the sense that he has great influence and reputation wherever he goes. He had favor, grace, with Potiphar and with the prison warden. And they respected him. In fact, Potiphar should have had Joseph killed if Joseph Joseph indeed raped his wife. The punishment should have been death on the spot. But instead, Potiphar sent him to prison. And you wonder, is this partially because of Potiphar's respect for Joseph? Well, we don't know. But it's clear in this story that Joseph has been given a name and an influence among these folks. Another echo is that God gives Joseph his steadfast love. Remember verse 21? Well, that Hebrew word is the word hesed. And it's the special term for God's covenant love for his people. So the people hearing this story would be hearing all these echoes of the promises God made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, then, and the other one is that God blesses other families of the earth through Joseph. Remember he told Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. It's interesting that over and over again, Moses makes it clear to us that Potiphar was an Egyptian. He not only calls him in, uh, describes him as an Egyptian, but sometimes he says Egyptian instead of Potiphar. He's making it clear that God is keeping his promise to bless the nations through this line, through Abraham's line. So, all of these clues are given to us for this purpose, as one commentator said it this way. It's so that we would understand that at the most uncertain time of Joseph's life, when he could see nothing of God, Assure us that God, the covenant God of Israel, was at work to effect his covenant promises through Joseph. So, given all of that, here's my definition of success as we see it in Joseph's life here. Success in Joseph's story is being shaped, Joseph being shaped by God to trust and live according to the promises God gave Abraham specifically. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. So this is, this is what success looks like in Joseph's life. He lives 
and believes that God has said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. He trusts that and he lives according to that. That's what's in his head and his heart. And so the Lord was with Joseph in such a way that Joseph grew to trust that God was with him, that God loved him, and that Joseph was blessed to be in relationship with the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then out of that blessing, Joseph lived to bless others. That's success. And that's the kind of success that can happen whether things are going well or things are not going well at all like they were for him. So let's look for a few minutes at how Joseph lived in God's blessing and then lived to bless others in each of these difficult situations, these three that I've mentioned. First, how did he do this in the midst of his suffering? You know, Joseph was unjustly put in a pit, unjustly sold as a slave to Potiphar, unjustly accused and put in prison. It's just suffering after suffering after suffering. And a particular kind that just seemed absolutely unjust and unconnected to anything he had done. How did he live to trust that God had blessed him and that he was um, commissioned by God to bless others? What did that look like? Joseph didn't despair. He trusted that the Lord was with him just as he had been with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob through their decades of what seemed like one step forward, three step back, three steps back. Joseph knew that the Lord was with his people even when they suffered. He trusted the providence of God and considered it no accident that he was where he was, whether it was a pit, Potiphar's house, or prison. And how could he do that? The Lord was with him. That's how. And so he lived in God's blessing and lived to bless others also in his service. There's a lot here that we can learn about serving in the place God puts us through Joseph's life. Listen, Joseph sought to be an agent of God's blessing wherever God put him. It's clear. That's exactly what we're seeing happen. Was serving as a slave to an Egyptian the life Joseph had dreamed of? No, (laughs) it certainly wasn't. But he served God where God put him, and he served those whom God gave him to serve. You think Joseph wanted to use his God-given leadership and people skills to serve prisoners as a prisoner? Absolutely not. But he used the blessing of his God-given abilities to serve where God put him, to serve those whom God gave him to serve. He did it. He understood that he had been blessed, and he lived in the blessing of relationship with the God of his fathers, and that he, like Abraham, was sent so that he could be a blessing. How could he do that? The Lord was with him. By the way, did you notice that Joseph's work was not religious work? He wasn't a priest. He wasn't a pastor. 
many folks uh, believe that since they don't work for a church or a ministry, that it's less likely that the Lord is with them in their so-called secular job. I had a man who was a Fortune 500 accountant tell me one day, he said, man, you know, I, I was talking to him about, wow, what a big job. And he said, oh, but what you do is, is very important, even more important than what I do. And I said, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. God has called you to accounting, and he wants you to serve him as an accountant. He's called me to be a pastor. He wants me to serve him as a pastor. I think Joseph's story reminds us that one of those least likely places that we may think God is with us is in our work. And you may think God has to be with me more because I'm a pastor than he has to be with you because you're a teacher or a mom or an engineer or whatever you do. Absolutely not. He's with us equally in what he's called us to do and where he's called us to serve. If he has to be with me more than you, it's more because of me than it is because of what I do for a living, okay? So Joseph's story is proof that the Lord is not only with you in your work, whatever it is, but his purpose is for you to bless others by your work to use your work for the sake of blessing the people you work for and with, that they might flourish because of who you are and what you do. Go back and read this this afternoon and look at how much it talks about how the people that Joseph served were blessed because of his service. And make that your calling in the place you serve. And remember that the Lord is with you as you do it. All right, the final the final place where you would think God is least likely to be with Joseph or with you um, is, when, is while being seduced to sin against God and others. Here in the story, the tension builds. Joseph has suffered unjustly, and God didn't stop it. Joseph was taken away from his place and his people, and he has no way home. And no one seems to be coming for him. No hope that they even think he's still alive. Joseph has to serve as a slave in a strange place, in a, in a foreign place of all places. And all of this and more might cause the best of men to say, I deserve better than this. I deserve a break. God isn't here, he doesn't see, he doesn't care. What's in it for me? What's a little pleasure for me? Huh? Hey, God made me good looking. What's in it for me? I've suffered enough. All setting him up to succumb to the seduction that becomes really the center of this chapter. But verse 8 says, he refused. Brothers, put yourself in Joseph's sandals and think about having gone through all he's gone through. 
What a man. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, and this wasn't arrogant, this was just recognizing God blessing Potiphar through him. Because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You can see how Joseph's understanding that he lives in the blessing of God and for the blessing of others enables him to decide what to do in that moment, how it guards his heart. He lives in the blessing of God. He He is blessed to know and be loved by God. And so he says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? At the heart of his refusal to succumb to the seduction is his relationship with God. How how could I do this to him? Joseph is not there to satisfy his own desires because... He's satisfied in God and all that God would choose to give him. And then Joseph not only lives in the blessing of knowing God, but he lives to bless Potiphar and his wife and their whole household. My master has no concern of anything because because I'm here. I'm, I'm here to serve him and You're his wife. You're not mine. You're his. And I'm I'm here to bless you, not take from you. And because he's blessed in his relationship with the Lord, he's free to bless others and not use them. And so, friends, so I speak to my brothers at this point, although I think my sister's uh, research is showing that my sisters struggle with this as well. But, brothers, when pornography just keeps coming back like Potiphar's wife day after day after day after day after day, This is how we stand firm. We, we stand firm in the blessing of knowing God and being satisfied in him and trusting that uh, even when we think we deserve a little break, deserve to feel good, um, he knows where we are. He will take care of us. He will meet our needs. We don't have to get it from somewhere else. And then to remember that these are real people we're looking at. We're here to bless them, not use them. Um, I once heard uh, of a Christian counselor who tried to explain how he counsels uh, and his specialty with sexual addiction. He tried to explain how he 
counsels people who uh, are dealing with intense struggles with lust, and he'll draw a box on a board, and he'll give them the marker and say, tell me if this box represents your thought life, tell me by filling in the box how much of your thought life is consumed with lust. And typically, the man would fill in most of the box. And what this counselor was telling my friend who told me the story is, my goal as a Christian counselor is not to try to get him to shrink the box or to shrink the, the, what he's filling in. Yes, obviously, he wants him to think about to, to lust less. He said, but what I really want to do is I want to expand the box. And I want to show him that there's a whole lot more to his life than this thing he's obsessed with right now. And friends, the, the axis of the box, <laughs> love God, love others, live in the blessing of knowing and being loved by and loving God, and live to bless others, including the ones that you are tempted to use for your own satisfaction. And friends, if, if that becomes like it had become for Joseph the obsession of our lives, that stuff's going to shrink. Does that make sense? If you need to talk more about that, let me know. So this is, this is how Joseph lived. He understood that his life was all wrapped in the blessing of knowing and loving God and the purpose of of living to bless others. Wow. We haven't seen somebody like Joseph yet, have we? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Where did Joseph come from? Um, in many ways, Joseph is showing himself to be the most faithful Israelite yet. It seems none of his fathers could be that faithful, or were. So then readers of Genesis might begin to ask the question, could this be, could Joseph be the offspring of Eve that was promised who would come and crush the head of the serpent and be the Messiah who would reverse the curse and restore God's people to their original purpose? Could, could Joseph be this one? I mean, he's looking good here. Could he be what Adam wasn't? Listen to, listen to this. Like Adam, the Lord had identified Joseph as a royal figure. Remember the, the dreams? Joseph, Adam was God's vice regent. Joseph had a royal future. Like Adam, the Lord placed Joseph where he wanted him and called him to serve there. Like Adam, the Lord blessed Joseph's work and made it fruitful. And in Potiphar's house, Joseph had freedom to enjoy and rule all things but one, Potiphar's wife. And like Adam, Joseph was seduced to sin against his master and take the one thing that had been withheld from him. And yet, unlike Adam, Joseph didn't do it. 
the first people to hear these stories about Joseph would see in him that promised one and what that promised one would be like. But the first ones to read this story, Israel would read it, and they would know that he wasn't the one because here we are, 500 years later, we're out of Egypt, yeah, and we've gone through the wilderness and we're about to go into the promised land. Joseph didn't didn't accomplish what Genesis 3.15 promised. They would see glimpses of that promised one in Joseph, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't believe that he was the one. That's because Joseph was pointing not only backward to the promise, but forward to the fulfillment in Jesus. The true and better Joseph. The true last Adam. Jesus, because Jesus is the ruler of all, but he didn't count it as something to be grasped or to boast about before his brothers. God sent Jesus to a far country to serve and to save and to do it as a slave. Jesus did his work faithfully. Jesus said in John 17, Father, I have accomplished all the work you've given me to do. Jesus was a faithful worker and servant. Jesus was seduced by Satan himself in the wilderness, but he resisted because he did not want to sin against God. And although God was with Joseph and with Israel in times of prosperity and in times of adversity, Jesus, in the height of his suffering on the cross for our sins, Jesus was momentarily forsaken by God. And he was forsaken by God so that we might never be forsaken by God, but that we would know that the Lord is with us and loves us and gives us his grace in our suffering and in our service and in our struggle with sin. He came to be our Emmanuel, which means God with us. In our suffering, he is our Emmanuel, He is the one who suffered. In our service, he came as the one who came to serve, not be served. And in our struggle with sin, he came as the one who was seduced but didn't succumb. That Jesus is with and in all of you and me who will trust him with our stories. Remember, friends, if you're his, then Jesus is with you and in you by his spirit when you least expect it in the week to come. As you suffer and as you serve, and yes, even when you are being seduced to sin against him, the Lord Jesus is with you and in you. And because Jesus has come to live, to die, and to live again for you and to live in you, the Lord is with you in ways Joseph never could have dreamed of. So friends, live in this blessing. Live in the blessing that Jesus is with you this week. And then whatever he, wherever he puts you and whatever's going on, know his blessing and live to bless others through Jesus and with Jesus. Father, um, thank you for the story of Joseph. 
And thank you most of all for, for Jesus. Thank you for the confident hope that we have that even when we least expect it, you're with us. You're with us. Because Jesus came to be God with us. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.